Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show. A great lucky thing about being an artist, James, is that all the artist needs is the idea that they believe in, and then to take steps to manifesting it, right? Because once an artist, a writer, a creator of stuff, the moment you have the new idea, if you commit to working on it, you change in a molecular way. Like you shift into the positive. I do anyway. I am able. It's a gift I have, I guess. You would see in my journal, as we started writing Billions, just this feeling of possibility come back. This sense of we're in control of our fate. We can do this. I remember how to do this. I've written all these other movies. I've written these TV. And the inner momentum started, which just fed and fed and fed so that by the time we had the billion script finished, I had no more doubt. I was certain. I knew what it was. I knew it would get on television. I knew the show would be received. Like, uh, suddenly, I was able to hit the thing you talk about. I was able to hypnotize myself again into belief by doing, by showing up every day. And instead of sitting around saying, um, the movie business won't hire me, the television business just fired me, instead what I could say is, we wrote three pages today. Tomorrow, we're going to write seven pages. What's another high stakes X versus Y that might fit that umbrella? Well, yeah, I mean, I don't calculate a lot, but I'm, I calculate enough to not give you my next show idea. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking just well, you next crazy. Don't, don't next calculate, but also don't this be gonna, a moron. This is gonna be Can I just say, seasons, calculate less and don't be stupid. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, Ryan, so much has happened since the last time you were on the podcast. When was the last time you were on? Was I, like I don't a, know, I mean, few weeks before the, when the show, when Billions was going to uh, premiere. Like two weeks later, Billions was going to premiere. We even went outside and there was the billboard in Times Square and we, you guys took a picture in front of it. Yeah. Uh, now, am I am I still the guest who's been on your show the most, or somebody? Yeah, no, I think I think you are. You're you've been on my show, and definitely after today, because we're gonna do a secret episode at the end of this one. You'll definitely you know hold the record by far. Okay, that that so, makes me happy. But and, and the good thing is, there's you've been on the show, but there's still so much to talk about. Good. So, um, uh, I've got five different topics for you. I'm so in for whatever you want to talk about, but we have to start with. This thing that just happened when you walked okay. into my office. Because I wanted to talk about how hard it is to live by a code. Okay, let's talk about that. For a second. Because you... Define in, code. Well, let's... Yeah. Well, I would say, you, you in... You know I read everything that you write. Yes. I never miss, uh, uh, I never miss a piece that, that you write. And I love reading them. And 
Um, I never fail to gain something from reading it. I, I always find an insight that um, I didn't have before. So right, it's, it's totally worth it. But then part of what you do, because part of what your mission, it, it seems to me, is to lay out, um, you know, because communism, uh, utopian, takes on a bad name, but you kind of lay out this utopian ideal of existence, right? You even say in your pieces that sometimes you could exaggerate f- to make this a point, to, to get the point across. Which I don't think I, I don't think I ever really do, though. Yeah, but you allow yourself. You do yes. sort of say you will allow yourself to. Yeah, I give myself permission for anything, but I don't really do that. But but, but one of the I think things about the, this stripped down life you've decided to live, casting off uh, that which is unnecessary, is part of that is casting off lies. You talk about being as right. honest without hurting people. Right. And uh, but being really uh, honest. Does have a price. There's a cost associated with. That. Well, and I'll give you a, before we get into your example. I'll give you a real specific example of that. So, people, uh, I'm always honest. People have obviously who who follow all my writing know that I'm no longer in a relationship with my ex-wife, and so people make lots of assumptions about what that means. And people have written articles. They've done all sorts. Of, they've accused me of things, and I and this is very easy for me to deny the accusations or to say something what actually happened, but I never do because I will never do anything that could even remotely potentially hurt someone. I only hurt myself. So I'll say things that hurt myself, but I won't hurt anybody well, else. Yeah, not answering is different than than lying, right? So that that's, that's right. fine. But when I'm talking about code is, is, I guess, the precepts by which we decide to live and in a way ones we've decided to codify for ourselves, ones we've decided to make sacrosanct. And one of those, I think, is this idea of not, of not lying, of not holding back the truth when the truth could be helpful. You walked into my office and you told me something about a, somebody who's sort of a coworker of David And, and you asked, so, so I told you basically, very specifically, I, to, uh, I won't say the, yeah. I, I, I told you, uh, a piece of information that was very valuable to you. And David asked me, your co-writer, David Levine, who's been on this podcast, asked me, uh, who told you that? And I answered. You answered the I question. I didn't hold back. Yes. But that person shouldn't have shared that information with you. So what happened was someone on our team shared a piece of information about uh, a cameo in season two of Billions. And that is a problem for me because the cameo is one of the fun things about a television show that people either binge or watch in the way that they watch Billions, which is closely and paying attention, is we want to keep for the viewer uh, the possibility of surprise. So that we're thinking about, even when we make trailers for the episodes, when the network shows us them, we're always balancing the ability to entice somebody to watch uh, with... They're the ability of somebody to enjoy the show if they've already seen the promotional material. So even when you're making the show, you're thinking of uh, the the the, tra- the commercial. The no, teasers. but when we make them, saying when we make the trailer, we're thinking about we want to get you to watch the show, but we don't want to spoil the show for you, right? right? We want them both things. And this this is not a huge thing, this cameo, but it's a nice little surprise. And the fact that someone on our team was out there dining out on it to you, knowing you would find it interesting, is a problem to us that we have to deal with now. We're very fair, so I would never say to that person something like, uh, you're fired. Uh, but what I would say to that person is, I can't have you doing that again. And I said to you, oh, let's call him right now. And then you were like, no, 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 I don't want to get him in trouble. I mean, I can't get him in trouble. I mean, and I was like, you know, it's funny because the James Altucher who writes about this stuff 
Well, I would never want to hurt somebody. Yes, but on the other hand, you would say if you were in my shoes, of course you have to confront the person and let them know that that behavior is not okay because you can't put yourself, I mean, the whole thing of saying no, you can't put yourself in a position, me, I, yes. can't allow myself to be in a position where this person goes out there ruining the show. No, so I agree with you. That's your thing. My thing also is I don't want to be in an uncomfortable situation. So I didn't want you to call him right there in front of me. Right. <laughs> so I was but being it's layers about of this that. stuff. <laughs> I mean, people just think, you know, nobody can, you can't follow any of these kind of dictates. The truth is we don't really live other than in life or death. Stuff isn't binary. There are these gradations. And sometimes when I, people look to figures like you, they think that stuff, that you're giving them binary lessons. And in fact, what you're trying to do is through your experience, show them the way to think about choices. Well, for instance, you know. If it, we just turn this into an episode of my podcast about you. But <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like I, I wouldn't, you know, so many people like, if I can't make an appointment, I'm not going to say, oh, my kid broke her leg or whatever. Like, I'm just going to say, I don't want to go to, I, I, this happened to me the other day. Someone invited to me a wedding and I said, I don't like going to weddings. I'm not going to go to a wedding, uh, your wedding. I'll send you a gift instead. So things, you know, that's like a very simple example, but like, I'm always going to be honest and not try to BS around a reason for something. Whether or not you call this person is not my problem. So I just, and one thing I'm honest with is I don't like to be uncomfortable. So I would have felt uncomfortable there. So that's yes. all. And I even say, call him after I leave. So I was yes. still sticking with- It would have been more fun for me to call with yes. you there. I can't- uh, For I, me. I, so, right. So I don't always have to uh, participate in your fun. <laughs> I'm sure you won't want to participate always in my fun. No, it's funny because making the call will be no fun at all now. Because I don't like having to say to somebody, oh, you shouldn't have done this. But if you were there to watch, and then I could have told him and made you uncomfortable, that would have been a win-win. <laughs> right. A win all around. Um, hey, man, I'm happy to be here, uh, Fire. You know, I, as you know, I do host my own podcast, so if I- um, Let me ask you about that. Like, gee, I get nervous before, I actually get scared before every single podcast. I was nervous waiting for you before this podcast, even though you've been on this podcast like six times. And you and I are actual yeah. friends. Yeah. yeah, we hang out. Yeah. So, so do you get nervous before a podcast? No, rarely. I mean- I don't know why. Uh, I get, I get, um, I want to be prepared. Here's the thing. As a podcast host, and uh, my podcast is called The Moment with Brian Koppelman. As a podcast host, I want to be prepared because I want to live up to my end of the responsibility. Like, I'm going to ask my guest to be forthright, to really think about their answers, to not give me their rote publicity answers, to try to make new connections in their heads to tell me their true story. So if I'm going to ask them to do those things and I have to come to the microphone having really thought about them, right? I have to really think about who they are, why I'm interested in talking to them, what I want to learn from them, what prism I'm going to ask them questions through. And so the nervousness I might get is about whether I've done that level of preparation. A shortcut but that I've taken that's exactly to why avoid I get nervous. this now is I will not book a guest about whom I'm not incredibly curious. So I will only have guests on my podcast that I, if I love their work, if I love their story of who they are, if I'm incredibly interested in some moments in their journey. And if those, if, so I get, as you do these re requests from publicists all the time to have people on the show, 
And, and it, the no, saying no has become incredibly simple for me. Because if I think it's going to be a burden to prepare, I won't have them on. I agree with that. And but sometimes, like let's say, let's say there's a guest like yesterday I interviewed uh Chuck Klosterman, great writer, great essayist. I love all his stuff. Uh, but to prepare, even though I had read his books over the years, to prepare, I had to read like eight books over the past week or two weeks. Uh it's just a lot of work. And then I'm thinking, well, out of these eight books, what questions, what am I trying to hone in on? And what I ended up honing in on was not really the content of the books, but the fact that oh my gosh, this guy has a dream job. He watches TV and movies and listens to music all day and gets to write about them and gets paid well for it. I'm going to ask how he got that. So his kind of his path and, to and so what I when I had uh, when I had Chuck on my show a couple years ago, and I know Chuck because we both were Grantland people early and he was in my the documentary Dave and I made about Jimmy Connors. Um, I was really interested in in Chuck's the way in which Chuck thinks about his position in the culture. So mm. I was really interested in the character of Chuck Klosterman. And which is interesting because that the, character is often in his books. Yeah, and so the, the way in which he wrestles as an outsider and an observer, how he reconciles that position with being considered one of the coolest people. He's on any list of sort of like the coolest New Yorkers. He'd be on it, and yet he doesn't value cool. In fact, he would write against cool, right? Because he doesn't like things that are in current fashion. He's not interested in what's f the fashion of the day. He's actually trying to go deeper, especially in the new book, and figure out the the future, what really matters. What well, well, he specifically, and I believe it was just in this most recent book, he specifically says it's really funny how the cool kids are all the ones who are exactly the same. <laughs> Yes. And that the uncool kid who's picked on is the one who actually is different and probably cool. Yeah. But I, I get that I get that uh, that approach. You had to do all that reading, you had to do all that work. So And so I was nervous. Now, I will I would say so like I wouldn't be nervous interviewing Chuck because I had already read all of Chuck's books before I spoke to him and most of his articles and many interviews that he had done. Oh, ditto. I'm saying in advance but for my own amusement. Right. So that it wasn't only to prepare, I had already done it. That's why I wanted to talk to him. I will say, uh, like when I had Salman Rushdie on my pod, I was nervous because he's an order of magnitude smarter than I am. And so having to have somebody on the show who's that much smarter and that much more well-read and that much more well-read in film also probably um, meant that I had to be able to be really present. I had to I had to find a way to calm my insecurities so the interview wouldn't be about me proving to him that I was smart. Mm. I had to be so I had to like work myself into a a, a posture of lick being ready to listen. Really listen and connect and find sort of the my angle of attack to get something from him that um someone else wouldn't be able to. And so I did all the reading and I thought about it a lot and like so for that one a very smart kid I know named Matt Fennell who works for me on Billions I knew Matt had studied Salman's work. And so I spent an afternoon with Matt. And I said, this is what I'm thinking about these books. And I really drilled with Matt on the books so that I could uh, check my ideas against Matt, feel like I was in the right ballpark, that the ideas I had that other people didn't weren't crazy. And so that when Salman was there, I, was, I had adrenaline coursing through my veins, but I wasn't... Nervous. If that makes okay. sense. Okay. Yeah, I got it. So you, in that case, you used some extra help. You also kind of, you almost did sort of the um, 
high-performance athlete thing where you start to almost pre-hypnotize yourself. Find a way to get the in the event. zone. Yeah, exactly. So, and a lot of people think that's like one of the best uh, pods that I did. And maybe it was because I felt like I was punching above my weight hmm, having hmm. salmon there, you know? So, so okay, I just wanted to mention that that I even even with you right now, I get nervous before a podcast, but and I'm prepared for it because since our last podcast, you've had an entire your 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 biggest TV show that you've done ever and, and it was the hit of last year billions has come out. It was great. It was renewed. You're working on season 2 right now. You're pro, you're, you're super busy. You're super excited. So I want to talk about billions. I want to talk about uh, what you've learned between Billions Season 1 and now you're working on Season 2. I also want to talk about, I was watching a few weeks ago uh, the I Am Not Your Guru uh, Netflix documentary about Tony Robbins, and then the scrolling down the credits at the end, I didn't even know you and David were the exact producers of the show. I was watching with a bunch of friends, and I'm like, hey, I didn't know. I, I didn't know that. So, so I want to talk about that. Anything you want, yeah. And then I want to talk about um, something we've never actually talked about, but I but I did have opportunity to watch them, which is your vines on script writing. And there are a couple interesting things there I want to talk about. Great, man. Anything anything, in any way you want to talk about. So Billions, we're, obviously, this is almost, I'm going to call it, it's a cliche now for me to call this, but it's almost like a choose-yourself story in the sense that you guys like didn't have a network lined up you kind of did more work than people do on a TV show uh, way up front in order to get Showtime. I don't want to say reeled in because it wasn't like you fooled them or anything. That's like, it was great. But you basically did a lot of upfront work to get a network um, hooked into the show. And it paid off. Like, this is a great show. So what's what's been going on? Did, were you surprised at how the, the public... I was going to uh, say, that story um, and pieces of that story have been... On both a bunch of podcasts you and I have done together, and I've, I've people have storified some tweet storms that I I've done about it. I would say an interesting thing, is, and and it's something that we talked about before, but that is, I think, still relevant for people who haven't heard it. Um, is that the place Dave and I were in before we wrote Billions was one could make the argument the kind of lowest point of our career. Other than before we had a career, because why, why we had we had written a movie that was a huge bomb and that we didn't like, which was Runner Runner. Making that movie was a brutal, horrible experience. We didn't get along with the director. We thought his vision for the movie was opposite of our vision. We were stuck somewhere we didn't want to be. We had um, a friend who was one of the actors in it. We liked the crew and the actors, and everyone was trying. But we knew it was going to be a disaster. So we had sort of had a countdown to this movie coming out, and we knew it was going to bomb. We had also recently. Can I, can I ask about the economics of that? So obviously it bombed. How much did it gross? Well, I I don't I tr I don't I mean that's not even a hard thing. I mean it's just anyone who's listening to this can just pick up their iPhone by thirty million or something like that. I don't I truly don't know. I could be off by ten million dollars. And and what, what I mean it? by bomb is let me say, um, as you know, a movie I made that you love is this movie Solitary Man. That right. movie made like nothing at the box. It made his money back, but it made nothing at the box office. It was a small movie. My favorite movie of yours, well, next to Rounders. Rounders has a special yeah. place in my heart. But but uh, the bombing is sort of like um, secondary. It was a bad movie, and in the May, and we couldn't um, change that. So that um, we were in the car crash. We saw that the car was going to hit the telephone pole. 
But the road was slick, the tires were bald, and there was no way, no matter how frantically we turned the steering wheel, that we could stop ourselves from going into the telephone pole. So, and, and, and so that feeling of, and, and so at the, at, then you know, okay, it's terrible, the movie's gonna bomb, it's gonna get terrible reviews, um, we're gonna look, no one's gonna know uh, the movie we would have made, the shadow movie that could have existed. And at the same time that that happened, we were supposed to be the showrunners of the TV show Vinyl, and we got fired by, uh, before we could even start in a political crazy thing that happened. I, and you know what? I did not know that. And that actually, well, it was announced. I mean, that was in the press. And I actually thought that was a great show. Yeah, I, I'm sorry to say. I don't want to. Yeah, but that doesn't the great show or not? This was before there was a show, and so within a month, Runner Runner came out. We were fired. Uh, we thought we were going to be running this show on HBO called called Vinyl. We were fired from that and found ourselves uh, not sure. One, if I, I didn't know if I had the creative energy because the Runner Runner experience was so draining. And then commercially, we'd always known, well, TV was really open to us because of our feature career. But we'd had this bad, I like the people at HBO, they treated us well, but a, a series of things happened. I wasn't sure where we'd be in the TV business. And, and if I had it in me, uh, if Dave and I had it in us to try to do this again, and then we just kept going to the office, you know, and had this idea, and decided to commit to writing it every day, and decided the lesson we'd learned from the, a bunch of television experiences was that we would not sell a pitch. We would write a script on spec, and they would have to say they were going to make it or not. We'd remembered that Showtime liked something before. We liked the people at Showtime. We had determined to send it to them and give them the first chance. Uh, at it, and we gave it to Showtime. They agreed to make it, but uh, all of that came out of I have to in, in, in really what was in many ways a hopeless time. If you looked at my journal entries, because you know I journal every day, and if you looked at my journal entries, you would see me go from despair, and then that thing that Tony Robbins talks about, which is progress makes us you know that as long as we're ha- making progress, we have a chance to be happy in our own minds. Progress. So so, and how- you would see in my journal as we started writing billions. Just this feeling of possibility come back. This sense of we're in control of our fate. We can do this. I remember how to do this. I've written all these other movies. I've written these TV. And the inner momentum started, which just fed and fed and fed, so that by the time we had the billion script finished, I had no more doubt. I was certain. I knew what it was. I knew it would get on television. I knew the show would be received. Like uh, Suddenly... I was able to hit the thing you talk about. I was able to hypnotize myself again into belief by doing, by showing up every day. And instead of sitting around saying, um, the movie business won't hire me, the television business just fired me, instead what I could say is we wrote three pages today. So well, Tomorrow we're going to write seven pages. But before that, you mentioned um, you, there was despair in your journal. What does despair look like in your journal? What do you say to yourself? Well, when you know, you're I do morning pages, so right. I don't go back and read for five years. That's the rule with morning mm-hmm. pages. But, and, but just you remember, what were you writing no, down? No, I mean, what I mean by despair is... Um, were you depressed to your kids? Like, was it your friends? I mean, no, they you know, know I'm... I'm uh, I would say my children have... Uh, because we're very close, the four of us, my my wife and my kids and, and, and me are all very close. So, yeah, look, I didn't... I don't hide things, so I didn't say um, to my kids, oh, this is all great. Like, they're also old enough, they were aware that... It was a bumpy period professionally, but what despair means? And that's a means, long time. I, I just, I sorry, I'm interrupting, but like, 
when you, obviously you know poker very well. When you have a bad hand in poker, no problem. Sixty seconds later, you know the brain needs stimulus all the time. So sixty seconds later, you got stimulus again. I'm, but the uh, great I'm lucky thing about being an artist, James, is that all the artist needs is the idea that they believe in, mm -hmm. and then to take steps to manifesting it. Right? Because once an artist, a writer, a creator of stuff, the moment you have the new idea, if you commit to working on it. You change in a molecular way, like you shift into the positive. I do anyway. I am able. It's a gift I have, I guess. Which is so. What despair would have looked like would have been me just saying like, um, "Well, I'm gonna have to be a lawyer again." No, I'm no, it never. Right? No. So, no. Of course not. Right? I'm not so, a crazy. So how, how deep I'm not is a the crazy. Despair? So I'm not a crazy person. Right? Right? But the despair is more like, okay, well, you know, it's pragmatic. So it's. Um, well, I hope I have an idea that I want to make. I hope we can figure out how to make it. These are avenues that seem closed off right now. We could probably stay in our apartment for the next couple of years. What would my risk tolerance be to take a mortgage out that's bigger, to write? Because I, I know I'm going to come up, right? Dave and I, we're going to come up with the next idea. Where would my risk tolerance be? What would Amy's be? Do, is it worth, do I want to consider selling our apartment and moving somewhere else to be able to create without any pressure? No, we shouldn't unseat, unsettle our lives like our kids are in school. And like that's, it's like I'm much more sort of just like pragmatic thinking about the situation. Because I do morning pages the second I wake up, right? I meditate and do morning pages, and they're free writing three pages. And so I am really allowing my subconscious fears to show up on the page, but it's also your subconscious obsession. So, right, if you're in a situation where you're like wondering about your professional prospects, I think it's really honest. One of the things you think about is, um, well, what are my reserves? What does that mean as far as like the things that matter? Um, and how can I regain in myself uh, the belief? But one of the things I did was that's when I started doing the vines. And the vines, as I've said on Twitter, which have 60 million views, you know, the series of vines that I did, those vines were me talking to myself, which I've said. Uh, they They were me reminding myself of the core values that I, the core artistic values that I held to. Essentially your code as an artist. I mean, yeah. and, the, and the two the two most important messages I think you get across in those vines, and they're related to what you just said, is write every day. That's the only, there's no excuse. Don't, if you're asking questions about, you know, what are the beats in a thriller, then you're doing something wrong. Just write every day. And number two is, this I thought was fascinating. It's not about writing what you know, which is always the common advice. It's about writing what is fascinating to you. And that's what I've see, seen in your, let's call it your best work, like things like Rounders or Billions. You know, obviously you're not a hedge fund manager. And yet something about, uh, I remember your production office at that time was right near Wall Street. Something about that environment and that uh, idea of the hedge fund manager versus D, a, a DA was fascinating to you. Well, if you look at the characters in Rounders and the characters in Solitary Man and the characters in Billions, you would see certain similarities in the way that they express themselves, think about the world, what they care about. Uh, of course, they're both I, doing. It's all, they're, they're both doing TM. You know, the DA and well, yeah. And, I'm saying we X. put. Uh, yeah, of course, uh, that's right. Uh, I do think that writing. Look, what I said in that in that thing is yeah, write what you know is great, and that works. Right, I was living in the poker clubs when Dave and I wrote Rounders. But you, but, but, but you were I was living in the poker clubs because I was obsessed with it. Right, and that's the idea. Look, the main point I want I try to get across in all this stuff is calculate less. 
Don't calculate. Don't think you can game it. You can't game it. You have to be so much smarter than... What does it mean, calculate less? Calculate less means don't sit down and say, what does the market want in television? Mm, mm. I've never thought about that. Mm. My show, I mean, our show, Billions, is not like any other show. It's not a genre show. It's it's uh, a show that can reference kind of anything. Uh, I don't sit down and think about what the market will sustain or support. I didn't when Dave and I wrote Rounders. I didn't when we wrote Solitary Man. I didn't when we made our 30 for 30 documentary on Jimmy Connors, which is another one of my favorite things that we've done. I find that that stuff is a distraction. You can't game it. You can't guess it because it moves, right? Uh, some people can. Elon Musk could. Mark Andreessen could. But they're playing a different game. And, right. and they can. But, you know, I have to, to, to me... They're able to. That is their special skill. Like if my special skill is knowing the way in which a character would express uh, him or herself in a dramatic situation, their special skill is understanding the future. But if you're not one of those freaks, then you have to figure out what you're fascinated by, and if you want to be an artist, how you want to render it, how you want to manifest. Do you think? It. Do you think culturally there are things that in that many people are kind of simultaneously fascinated by. So for instance, you were fascinated by this idea of hedge fund versus a DA. Um, and, and the first time US you were fascinated attorney. by, uh, or US attorney, and the first time you were fascinated by poker, obviously that was right before the big poker craze. Well, but television. if there have been movies made about it, we started the poker craze. No, right. I would say, like, I mean, three things started the poker craze. Rounders gave people the language, Chris Moneymaker made them think it was possible, and then the whole card cam let them understand it. That's four things, the whole card cam, and then online poker let yeah, them do it at poker. home. And you add those four things up, and that's the poker boom, and our thing was the first piece of it. And yet people were always, like for 100 years, fascinated by the idea of poker, the idea that you could like read somebody or bluff or you know make money from playing a game. Well, it's all, I mean, all the stuff we, much of the stuff we write about is some version of the gunslinger. Some version of the individual who believes that he or she uh, is smarter, can get the weapon out quicker, knows the shot before anyone else knows the so, shot. So just off the cuff, what would be another, like it's a, such a great umbrella, that idea, like, you know, hedge fund manager versus U.S. attorney, um, struggling poker player against the, you know, the, the evil poker player. Uh, what's just, what's another high stakes X versus Y that might fit that umbrella. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't calculate a lot, but I'm I calculate enough to not give you my next show idea. <laughs> I mean, that's fucking well, next crazy. Don't, don't calculate, but also don't this be gonna, a moron. This is gonna be Can I just 10 say, seasons, calculate 10 less and don't be stupid. So, yeah. Um, all right. Well, all right. I will. I won't go down that line of questioning. But um, obviously, though. But I would also say that no. Okay, to be serious. What I think doesn't fucking matter. That's my point. Nobody could have told us to do these things. What matters, if somebody's at home thinking about writing something, all that stuff is counterproductive. I believe it's not just counterproductive. I believe it's destructive. I believe that trying to figure out what the next thing in the collective unconscious is is insanely harmful to the creative process. What you're trying to do is figure out what you, if you have a personal, deep need to express something because you're and and you have the skills with which to do it, that work will find some kind of home. And but I think it's also important to combine that with the right every day. 
Because even oh, hundred percent. Even if you don't feel today like anything fascinates you, um, still putting words on the page kind of greases the wheels, so that when something does fascinate yeah, you, well, you're like, ready. All right, I just found this. I mean, I'm late to this, but that guy from Norway, like Carl uh, Uwe Overgaard, I oh, think yeah. is his name. Yeah, the My Struggle. My Struggle, right? So this guy. I mean, who could have ever, this guy who's the worldwide literary sensation, he's written these six books that people are comparing to Proust. I was in the bookstore the other day, I read the first two pages of the first one, and I was like, oh, this is the best thing I've ever, like, since when I read Murakami for the first time, the first time I've read a couple pages of something, and I, and I just went, how did I know, like, this just felt like it came from rock, like, just the most beautiful, powerful writing. I mean, you think anybody thought it was a good idea to sit there and write six books that are a loosely fictional autobiography of just some dude in Norway about life and death and when he gets a haircut and when he, like, no, of course not. Like, nobody would have said that was a good idea to do. But this guy somehow had this notion that he had to express this stuff in this way. And he did it with so much commitment, right? Because that's the thing I'm talking about. Why do you have to be obsessed about it? Because this shit is hard to do. Heart writing every day is easy in theory. Hard to do it. Hard to show up every day and write because you feel like a failure all the time when you write. So you have to be, the thing you want to do has to be something so, that you're so deeply obsessed by. It doesn't have to be personal. You know, my friend Derek Hass makes all the Chicago shows. He like, he really loves those shows. That's why he does such a great job and makes these amazing shows. I had him on my podcast and we talked about it. Like, he gets up and he just loves creating these worlds. You need that level of enthusiasm and passion and commitment and obsession to pull this stuff off. Maybe you just love to write. But That's what, fine too. What, what I think though is that, yes, I agree with that, but many people have excuses like, oh, I don't have that enthusiasm today or I've got to take care of the this and this and this today. And so so I used to have this naive view of what, the, what it is to go outside of your comfort zone. So for instance, um, compliment every person you see on the street today. For me, that would be like slightly outside of my comfort zone. But what I've realized lately is that the actual borders of my comfort zone are plastered with excuses because those are the th parts where my brain is like, no, you know, don't go here because you got to take your kids to the doctor or you got to go to this school thing or you got to do this business thing. Like you can't go here today. Yeah, man. Writing every day, it's, it's, uh, for those for whom it's hard, it's like really hard. Right. Um, but but it's a muscle. You gotta and going to the gym every day is hard at first too. Look, it depends on it depends on how much pain you're in ahead of time. And if you don't do it, I mean, a lot of it. Why the morning pages are so great is they're a way to take your temperature. They're a way after a little while. You can't lie to yourself in the morning pages, and so you start to become aware of what's painful for you, right? So you start to become aware. Like I've been eating. Uh, protein, mostly just protein and vegetables for the last month. And I realized t today, I really, really wanted to have a quesadilla. But I, I, I know that I don't want to have to write that in my journal tomorrow morning. And I somehow was able to just not do it. Like I've been going for a month and I'm able to continue it. And part of that is like the regular checking in with myself, which happens in morning pages and in meditation. Um, and the more I can then check in, it enables me to remember, without even trying to, what's important to me. What's important to me is, first, to be kind. And people say that as like um, in a glib way. You know me. Um, like So to be kind to the people I care about. Uh, 
is really important to me, and I always did that. But I can be more conscientiously kind if I do morning pages and I meditate. Because then it's not just, oh, I'm a kind person, is how I think of myself. It's, well, was I kind today? And how will I be kind later today and tomorrow? So it's funny, the morning pages are not necessarily... Uh, like a pure diary, but almost like an accountability uh, factor. It's not as well. right. All it really is is three pages of free writing. But if you do it enough, it's but you free just refer writing. to it as accountability in two different well, ways. Because what happens is, by what I have found happens for me in the morning pages, mm-hmm. is so because it's free writing. So you're just moving your hand across the page for three pages, right? I guess some people could just write, "Oh, um, I woke up. I am breathing. I am still breathing." Because you only have to write, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But after a month of that, you're going to write, I am still breathing. Also, I'm a fat fuck. Why am I a fat fuck? Because eventually you'll start talking to yourself. The key is eventually you'll start talking to yourself and you'll see where I found. You see where you let yourself down. You see where you've exceeded your expectations. You'll see what your secret dreams are. That's what happens to me. It reveals to me uh, where I want to go and how I want to get there. Combined with meditation. Meditation for the stillness and to calm the anxiety. The morning pages to tap into the subconscious Uh, dreams and things that hold you back. Let's stop to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Yes, it's totally true. Airbnb has changed my life. If anything, they have made my life so much better. Like I used to live in Airbnbs. I I lived in over a hundred or two hundred different Airbnbs over a three year period, and I loved it. I love. I became a really good guest of Airbnbs, and I got to know lots of hosts. So when I initially owned a house, I of course the first thing I thought was I'm going to turn my house into an Airbnb because I travel a lot. So why leave my house unused when I can make a side income? by letting others Airbnb my house or come to stay in my house as guests. And having my own Airbnb or or being a host for Airbnb has allowed me to do just that. And I've met other hosts. I've actually spoken at Airbnb's host conference. I think it was in 2017. I met so many just nice hosts. It's a great community. And I love you know turning my own home into an Airbnb. Like I'm traveling to Austin next month. My home's going to be an Airbnb while I'm away and I'll stay in an Airbnb. I'd rather stay in like a three-story house Airbnb than in one tiny hotel room in, in the middle of Austin during South by Southwest. So listen, while you're away, your home could be an Airbnb. Many people host on Airbnb, but there are people who are just letting their house sit empty who've never thought about it or didn't realize their space could be an Airbnb. Hosting can easily fit into your lifestyle and is a great way to earn some extra money. So if you have a home, but you're not always at home, then you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Daylight savings time is starting up again. Okay, podcast is over. That's all you needed to know. But why do we have daylight savings time? Answer, to give us more daylight from March through November. By setting your clocks forward, it may feel like there are more hours in the day, that initial 
when we initially start daylight savings. But if you're hiring, it doesn't necessarily help you find qualified candidates for your roles any sooner. There's only one way to do that, ZipRecruiter. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter works around the clock to find qualified candidates for you. Once you post your job on ZipRecruiter, they send it to 100 plus job sites so you reach more of the right people. This is such a brilliant idea for a business, and ZipRecruiter did it. So ZipRecruiter's smart technology also quickly scans thousands of resumes to identify people whose skills and experience match your job. I've used ZipRecruiter particularly as a potential employee, and I still to this day get messages every day. James Aldacher, would you like to apply to be VP of Entertainment at NBC or whatever? So there's just nonstop emails. Like I got five or six emails today because of because a year ago I signed up for ZipRecruiter. So spring forward with a new hiring partner, ZipRecruiter, and find top talent sooner. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash James. Once again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash James. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Hey, listen, men's health is important. Men act all cocky and like they don't need anything. But the reality is, as you get older, there's some things you need. And it often feels like we're too busy to take care of our health problems. Like I'd rather do anything than go to the doctor or the dentist or the pharmacy or whatever. But now you don't have to waste your time if you use HIMS. HIMS, H-I-M-S, HIMS is changing men's healthcare by providing simple and convenient access to science-backed treatments for erectile dysfunction, hair loss, weight loss, and more. The entire process is 100% online, so you get a new routine of improving your overall health faster. Jay, you listening to all this? Yes, I definitely got to use HIMS from now Not on. Not that you need it. You're, you're young and healthy. James, I'm 35. You, you're getting there. You might, you might need it. Who knows? But if prescribed, your medication ships directly to you for free and indiscreet packaging. No insurance is needed. You can manage your plan on the HIMSS app, track progress, and learn more about your conditions and how to treat them from leading medical experts. Start your free online visit today at HIMSS.com slash James. Could you imagine that? There's a whole section just with my name on it. HIMSS.com slash James. That's how I how much I am representative of the kind of person who needs HIMS. That's HIMS.com slash James for your personalized treatment options. HIMS.com slash James. Prescriptions require an online consultation with a healthcare provider who will determine if appropriate. Restrictions apply. See HIMS.com slash James for details and important safety information. Subscription required. Price varies based on product and subscription plan. You know, it's interesting you brought up the the Nori writer. I don't know how to pronounce his name, but my struggle kind of summarizes essentially all literature. So it's all it's all basically how we feel exiled from the society around us. Yeah, I only have started the book. I mean, I'm only only in the beginning of the book. I just picked it up two but nights I, ago or three. But nights I would think ago. every book, like take billions, it's like you have both guys in some ways are exiles from in their own ways from from family, from coworkers. 
from the government, from you know, popular opinion, and it's how they deal with that exile. Well, the struggle against solipsism, uh, against being uh, you know separated from nature and uh, others, is, is a huge theme- thematic. Because in life, right, it's the thing. How do we break through this this skin uh, and 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 bone and and the limits of our own minds to ma- forge meaningful connections and to recognize. Uh, how you know how how to transcend our our limitations? I but, think that's but, in everything. But like it, but it, but it's hard to pull off because like you know so so Damian Lewis plays the main character who runs Axe Capital or one of the two main characters, and he's multi billionaire. And he plays multi billionaire in the show, and yet we relate to him. You know, initially you could think just from the description of this show, he's the villain, but he's not really. Like we, we relate to his well, struggles with sure. family and friends and so on. Sure, yeah. And, and Dave that, and I were determined to to to, and you know, we created the show, the two of us, along with Andrew Ross Sorkin, Dave and I, from the pilot on, and made the show and written all of it with our writing staff. And and um, it was important to us to create characters who you couldn't just put in a box. Um, and it and it always is who were not just oh, this is a hero, this is a villain, and that would reflect what we really see, which is people struggling to be the best versions of themselves despite their limitations, which is what we all are. And what, what's brilliant in the show is that, I mean, I think in kind of old school TV or movies, you sort of feel like, uh, okay, this guy I'm going to root for, this guy I'm going to root against. But you can't figure that out in billions. You're, right. you're, I mean, you're now constantly you're talking about mechan- I mean, now you're talking about mechanics, right? The mechanics of how, how that works. And that's, that's the part that's the craft. That's the part that happens after you've written the first Ten drafts. Hmm. That's the part that happens when you've really internalized who these characters are, and you just start thinking like them on on the page. And that's that's years of practice. I mean, I was going to say, you know, a lot of this stuff I say sounds can sound uh, as though uh, can sound Pollyanna-ish, right? It can sound as though I'm saying, well, just don't calculate, don't think about the market. Could sound well like um, wishful thinking, but we're doing this. Uh, interview on a Friday. On Monday, it's Columbus Day. And Dave and I sat down to write our first movie on Columbus Day 20 years ago. And it's 20 years of being proved right. 20 years, of, it's been really hard. There have been years of movies not getting made, and but mostly it's been 20 years of uh, sitting in a room, deciding to follow our own voice and then finding a way to get that to the to the screen has it always been achieved sort of at the to the highest level we wished no have are, do i wish some of the movies could have been better at times of course but have we found a way over 20 years by showing up every day writing something making phone calls sending emails never taking no for an answer have we had 20 years if you walked into our, our office would you see 20 posters on the walls of things that we've either written, produced, executive produced, or directed, you would. Not because we're so much smarter than everybody else, but because we made a decision a long time ago to follow our obsession. And it's not just the writing, because you just mentioned several other skills, like making calls, which is really hard for people, actually. Who do I call? How do I follow up? How do I be persistent without being annoying? Like, that's a skill. So yeah, it's, it's I mean, hard having, work. having a good personality, like, uh, meaning, yes, learning. It's funny, like you, I'm reachable by email, right? I'm reachable at the moment, bk at gmail.com, but not for any pitches. If you send me a pitch for anything, I will delete the thing. Uh, I won't read it. But I'm reachable 
uh, if some people want, and I and during the season of billions, it's very hard to me for me to respond. But I'm reachable. I can read what you send me. Again, if it's not an idea. And there have been people who have found a way to get me to notice them positively, only by the way in which they've communicated to me. Right? Mm-hmm. I don't know them, but three sentences in, I could tell. I think that person has a chance mm-hmm. to become a writer, a director, What's a an producer. Example? I mean, a kid recently. I'm not going to say his name because he won't want me to. But a guy reached out, and the way in which he wrote me a letter, and he said. Here's my situation. I'm a finalist for this certain thing. I'm about to have a meeting at a network. They're picking among ten of us. I've never pitched before. I know I got here by what I've written. I've never pitched before. I'm nervous. Do you have any practical advice of just how I can get past my nerves in the thing? I remember reading it. I could tell that he wasn't lying because you know James. You can tell when they're lying in an email or when they're not. And I picked up the phone and I called him. Wow. And I was like, all right, tell me the situation. And we spoke. And he went in and he got the fellowship. And now he just got staffed on a big TV show. What'd you, what was the advice? What did you tell him? I just talked to him about how to breathe and like what, he was, what the point of what he was doing was and how to tell a story. I, you know, I just answered him. I basically made him feel calm. But the point of it is, is this guy figured out how to reach somebody who could help him. Right? We all want a mentor. He figured out how to make me his mentor. Everybody can do you. People have the capacity to do that through trial and error. Maybe I was the fiftieth person, and maybe he sent forty-nine emails that failed, and then figured out how to write the fiftieth email, or maybe he sent it to me first. But when you ask that, like, what does it mean? Who do you call? Who do you email? As you know, we all get the "Will you have coffee with me?" email. His wasn't that. His email was. This is the specific situation. I'm not asking you for anything. I'm not asking for money. I'm not asking you to introduce me to anybody. I'm not asking for your time. I'm literally asking you a specific question. How would you think about this if you were me? Do you have five minutes to help me? Mm. And I was like, yeah, I do. And that's out there for everybody, I think. Mm. For there are these resources, there are these podcasts, and there are many resources out there. But as you know, somebody, like most people who write you can't get you. But someone who writes you, James, can get you. It just... They can. I've seen it. Yeah, no, it's uh, you're right though. It has to be the certain you notice within three sentences, or else it's just gone. Yeah, I was talking to Ryan Holiday about this. He gets a ton of these notes too, and like most of the time, it, you most of the time you can tell they need too much, or they won't follow up. Or there's well, a, like, a guy wrote me the other day. A guy wrote me the other day from Australia. Great letter, long letter, which was okay, and he had a very speci- again a very specific question. And I knew that there was a book I could recommend, Seth Godin's book, The Dip, would answer his question. And so I wrote him, a t- and he said to me, if you even write me back one sentence I will, that has something in it, I promise I'll follow up. And so I wrote him back two sentences. Here's why you should read this book. Here's how it'll speak to this situation. And he wrote me back, I'm getting that book, thanks. And I know I'll hear from him in six months. And that kind of resource is out there. This doesn't mean if you're listening that I'm going to be that for you. I'm probably not going to be that for you. I can't. I don't have the time. But I, I think the point that, is that there is somebody out there for you who who can point you in the right direction. It could be an old teacher that you had. It could be someone who's teaching at a community college near you who lived a life similar to the one you want to live. You know, and I think you brought up one thing, which is uh, uh, always a bad one, which is you know, let me buy you a cup of coffee because that that yeah. never works. But the, the other thing that never works that I think people aren't really aware of is People will say, 
uh, tell me a problem you have and I promise I'll solve it. And suddenly they're giving me homework to do. Like I have to figure out a problem I have so that they can solve it. <laughs> like I don't like homework assignments. So that that's a kind of more subtle, but but, but bad I email. But I would say I would say the other thing is like Man, when I say nice when I say the it. thing when you said it like phone calls like people don't know how to make the phone calls. I guess one of the things that my wife's so good at reminding me of, and you know, a lot of people their favorite podcast of mine is the one I did with Amy Amy Koppelman, who's a novelist. By a the friend way, of yours, great, James. Great podcast of yours. And also she's been on my podcast, one of my favorite podcasts of mine. Yes, life. and you and she are, are good friends yes. too. But she's so aware of how short a time we're on this planet. And uh, if you really just stop, there's this line, um, I don't want to, there's this idea that in the great, and James would understand this better than I would because he understands math and science better than I do. I just look like I do. I don't no, but you I don't do. You come on. There is this idea that in the great expanse of time, we're already dead, right? Because if you look at how basically any look at at the expanse of time from far enough back, our lifespan's over already. And if you're aware of that, if you really think about the how small we are, and and the fact. That because time is so long, this little moment we're here is over already from a theoretical standpoint, then you have to have no fear of failure. Your failure is insignificant. Your successes are too, but they feel good. So it, it's worth failing. It's worth making a hundred phone calls that result in you feeling awkward and bad to find the hundred and first that opens the door. If you learn from those hundred that are bad, if you think about it, if you have a way to check in with yourself. I mean, we can go back and forth on this one thing because I think there's a lot of uh, philosophy there of like, what's what's the meaning? What is success? What's the meaning That's, of life? Yeah. How much should you pursue success as opposed to pursuing not needing success, which is also a, a potential goal? Of, well, of Tony Robbins says uh, change either your... Uh, what is it? Your, you can, cha- change either your expectation or your situation. Yeah, and you have to change one of the two. The situations, and and so I've heard this expressed in a variety of ways. Like happiness equals reality over expectations. And reality, you can't really change so much day to day, but expectations you could change in a second. Well, but look, everyone has their own internal thermometer, their own internal gauge, uh, a gauge, right? For for. Look, I only know how to articulate it for people who see the world through a certain kind of eyes. And I would say people who want to, who feel the need, not because of external validation, but who feel the need to access the most creative version of themselves, whether at business or sports or in the arts. Uh, And so for people like that, I have found finding a way to move forward and to get to creative breakthroughs really helps a lot uh, in and, terms and of how just... you feel. I'm not talking about the external validation, right? Like I can write, I can write a blog post on my blog, and you know, I'd have the choice to put that lots of different places. I'm fine to just put it on my blog. But also because Few you pe- do get external validation from the the reception of billions right now. I've listen. I've been incredibly lucky. I've gotten external validation. I'm 50 years old since I'm 21, right? And probably before. I've always yes, 
I've always found a way to get that for myself. And it's, uh, I'd be lying if I said that that didn't feel good. Of course that feels good. But it's not the driver. The driver has to be like curiosity, passion, obsession. So so this, this drives into, um, you just did a, a whole series of billions. It was great. It was excellent. Now you're working, you're in the middle of shooting and writing and editing and everything. The, the second series what has changed in your creative process and your uh, enthusiasm for the project? I mean, the enthusiasm isn't dimmed at all. Look, the the other side of this is, and it's why your question about the expectations is fair. Creating, other than for maybe one percent of the people, but I even think for them, creating is failure all the time. Mm-hmm. The people who who just think. Everything they write is great. They're never good. Or everything they paint, or every note they play. I mean, Prince is probably the only person where, like, everything he picked up, played on the guitar, was just going to be great because he was born that way, right? By, and you, by the and way, and you coming from the music business, this is a big thing thing to declare. No, yeah, but I mean, there's a, there are other people business. like that. Yes, I've, uh, but um, but creating anything involves a tremendous amount. Of failure, meaning not external failure. That feeling that you're not quite manifesting, you're not really able to bring to life the feeling you have inside of you that you're trying to express. But the only way around that, look, you do it. James, I've seen you try to write the same piece 20 times. And finally, on the tw- I, mean, I mean, I'll see the blog posts, and you can actually, if you look at them, you could go pick out the way you tried to chase down an idea. Your way of doing it is you just put them out. You publish them and publish them and publish them. And I'm sure they, if they fall short, it haunts you. And then you go like, I got it. The next one, I'm going to make this point you more have it clearly. On, yeah. And one sees because that's what it. But the reason your stuff reads so true, uh, and the reason that even the New York Times is like, oh, he's the one guy who's not a charlatan at this thing. Is like it's so obvious you're trying so hard to get this feeling in you out so that other people can it can land and they can get something from it. It matters to you. But you know that feeling a lot of the time when you lie in it. You're not lying, but that feeling when we, as we're writing, as we're creating, we if we're good craftspeople, because we've done this long enough, we know the ways we can manipulate the thing out so that it lands fine, but it isn't actually doing what we'd hoped it would do. It's like almost doing it. In this, and I would say on and Billions both seasons, Dave and I have worked so hard not to do that. So hard to rewrite and rewrite and re-edit and re-edit and reshoot and do whatever we have to so that, because this chance we have to make this show at 10 o'clock on Sunday nights on Showtime that has a real audience and people watching it super closely. I It, it is impossible to, even for, for me, and I'm disciplined, it's impossible for me to divorce myself from those people's expectations. Not in terms of how it affects me financially, but in terms of like, their expectations. Salinger talks about, you know, the woman sitting on the front porch listening to the baseball game on the radio and that the announcers are doing it for them. Like I want to deliver the best fucking show that Dave and I can for the people and do you who find, love the show. I mean, give a television series obviously is so much different from a movie because it's like you're writing a 40-hour movie instead of a hour and a half movie. And so do you find I mean like Billion Season 1, and I haven't seen, obviously, anything about Season 2, but Billion Season 1 was a great, just well-rounded season. Ends on an intense note. 
you know, no spoilers, but just to say it ends on this like really great, well-crafted note. Did you feel that pressure when you sat down to write, start writing season two? You got renewed. You're, you're sitting that sitting down to write season two. Do you do you, do you feel I mean, yourself? The pressure's all just from ourselves. Mm-hmm. But but did you? Well, feel I would like, say you feel in a way. I mean, I was talking to another friend of mine who runs a huge show, a show much bigger than ours, uh, and 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 he helped because he said, you know. The thing you should lean on instead is that the knowledge that when you write the line, it is going to land the way that you hope it's going to land. You've, it's been proven to you already. So yeah, I what feel. What do you mean? It, it, uh, uh, the tone of our show is is not a, uh, you know, the tone of the humor of our show and the palette of references is not typical. It's not like um, it's just not like other shows. It's got its own voice, and like um, our this voice for this show seems to work. So. As long as we lean into that voice, I don't, I don't really worry about it in that way. I just worry about it, and we've done this from the beginning. As long as David and I feel like the thing works, I'm gonna be happy whether nobody like watches or everybody watches. I, think- I, I, I will, I would hate it to put a show on and feel like there was one more edit we could have done, there was one more scene we could have shot, there was one more line we could have rewritten that. Um, that we'd thought of and we were too lazy to do or we couldn't convince someone to give us the butt. But like none of that's happened. Like we're able to make the show we want to make. So that's that's different from a lot of, let's say, writers where they feel like they're never going to be able to edit the final draft. Like they're always going to be editing unless they finally say, look, this is good enough. Um, 98% there, so I'm stopping. Or else well, I'll just we have a forever. look. I mean, the time is our enemy in that, right? So that is freeing in a way. Mm. We can only do that up until when we have to deliver the show to go on television. Mm. But right up until then, we're fighting it. And you so so far, you haven't um, felt like you're, oh, we're going to run out of stories. How can we keep telling more stories about these guys? No, I mean, look, every day, it's what I say before, writing is failure. You're always feeling like, the in in danger of all of that, but you got to just every day go. Well, okay, it's mostly failure. Did we come up with something today that worked? Is there a moment? Is there a scene? And we have these incredible collaborators. These actors are amazing, and they're also a great. We have this process where we table read every week, and so we put the script up or a week before shooting, and um, everyone in the cast reads the script at a table, and so Dave and I can see the episode in a way, and that gives us a tremendous um, ability to go and. Rewrite and what, what have you learned from these everything. actors? Uh, I mean, these actors are truth. They are truth serum, meaning not because they'll come up to us and say something, but because in watching them do it, if we've written a false note, hmm. we will just see it. And because they're trying their hardest, they're the best. They are amazing collaborators. So if they can't sell it at the table read, it's my fault. It's hmm. my fault. Hmm. You know, it's our fault. We didn't create this relationship the right way. Well, these two characters wouldn't really have that argument. Or these two people really wouldn't do that together because if we don't believe it at a table, then we're never going to believe it on screen. Hmm. So so I want to, um, I don't have a segue for this. I'm horrible at, at segues. I do want to, before we end, talk about Tony Robbins, uh, the I Am sure. Not Your Guru. Um, I, like I said, I was watching this and then I see the credit. And, and by the way, I thought it was extremely interesting. I have... Um, lots of things I could say about it, but I, I thought it was very interesting. But what I was most surprised by was at the end, I saw your, your data. So name. I have two things to say. One, I made a decision yesterday to lose the word interesting from my vocabulary and to replace it with thought provoking. And I okay. think 
because uh, we all use interesting. I- yeah, you used it three times in that sentence, and we all use interesting. And it's become like, um, in fact, if you think about it, is it did, what really piques your interest? Oh, totally interesting right. is such a bland, boring word, but yes. thought provoking is a much better expression that means almost the same thing. And if and if you're forced yourself to say thought provoking, then a lot of stuff comes with that. You're totally right because I just thinking about that. That was thought provoking. I have a thought, which is we've talked about this before and we both are on the same page in terms of kind of traditional atheism and the role of religion in history and so on. But I sort of feel like what was thought provoking to me in this was that you've transferred your atheism in this interesting way to two other things, which is Transcendental Meditation and Tony Robbins, which is almost like you've created your own Brian Koppelman secular religion by combining these two things. Well, Tony says, I am not your guru. And I I would say, no, I, I... Yes, Transcendental Meditation and Morning Pages, which come from Julia Cameron, those things might, and family, might, family first, those things might, and kind of creativity, beauty, there's lots of stuff that I probably take the place of religion. But institutions. No, yeah, you're talking about institutions in which I invest uh, uh, my time and energy. So TM is really just a private practice, right? I don't, I mean, I'm speaking on their behalf, but I don't do very much publicly about transcendental meditation. I just talk about how it affects me. Um, and Tony, I, I would say, the books that Tony wrote, in particular, Awaken the Giant Within. Great book. I benefited from it. The event date with Destiny, to which I went, were incredibly powerful experiences for me. I know Tony, we're friends of a sort. Um, meaning we're not fr- friends, in, be, we're not going out for, for beers together because he, he doesn't drink beer and I don't either really. But um, but we've known each other a while now and where uh, we, um, if I call Tony, call me back and um, we'll just say I'm, I, I'm not going to pretend to a level of familiarity with him I, I don't have. I will say that Date With Destiny the six days that I spent at Date with Destiny where I was able to just think about my life, uh, it was like doing morning pages in TM in, in, in Hyperloop uh, and in Hyperdrive, not Hyperloop. Uh, Hyperloop is that train thing. Hyperdrive. And um, so I found it useful. But I can separate Tony the person, and I think that's why it's important, I am not your guru, where Tony himself constantly says it, you know, and I know that in NLP, the word not, I understand all the conspiracy theories that in, in NLP they say uh, not, people don't hear the word not, so saying I am not your guru, is saying I am your guru, but that's bullshit. Uh, I think that uh, the point of it is all Tony's work is asking you to do, Awaken the Giant Within is asking you to do, is um, figure out what matters to you, figure out why it matters to you, and figure out what's the gap between where you are and how to get there. And I found that to be incredibly useful. But if somebody else says that stuff's useless to them, unlike with religion, I'm like, oh, fine, that's fine. Find, find your own way to get to that next place. All I did, all Dave and I did on uh, "I'm Not Your Guru" is we uh, introduced Tony to Joe Berlinger, who directed the movie. Tony and I were talking. I was hoping Tony would do a documentary. I introduced him to Joe, and they really took it from there and made it. Mm. I'm thrilled to have the credit exec producer on it. We definitely were there at the genesis of the thing, but I can't take any credit creatively for how it turned out. I love it. I think Joe did an unbelievable job of making that movie, and you really feel like you're at date with destiny. I think it is a great. 
I think it is a, a, a great movie as well. And, and one thing that I noticed, and I wonder if you agree with this, it seems like on A Date with Destiny, there's so much energy and enthusiasm in the room. And of course, that's part of it is that, you know, everybody's coming from maybe their lives where they're they're feeling some sort of malaise or they feel stuck or there's some problem that they have. And so Tony like jolts them out of that in this very specific energetic way. And then it's almost as if he mass gives permission to to you to the feelings that you were unsure about or or, or permission to well, do permission is a great word. I mean that's the other thing I talked about a lot on the vines and I do my podcast, which is this idea that we think someone needs to give us permission to be an artist. I grew up believing that there were some people who were anointed. There were people in my class who were anointed as the artists. And if I wasn't one of those people, I must not be. And it took me years and years to figure out that that wasn't the case. And so yeah, Tony's work can jumpstart that. And I don't want to soft pedal it. You know, I reject the religion idea. I understand why you'd say that, but I, I think that's really reductive. But I will say- What do you mean by reductive? I, I think it's reductive. It reduces down the thing to this simple, oh, well, it must be like a religion. But to me, um, I, I do advocate f- for the possibility that in wor- Tony's work and in work similar to Tony's, there is a lot to be gained. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend the the documentary. I was just, again, it was very uh, yes. uh, interesting to see your, your and David's name on there. Well, Brian, I can't wait to to have you back on right before season two starts for Billions. I can't wait. Uh, when can I? When, when are we going to see the first show? February nineteenth, twenty seventeen, and uh, I think you were at the premiere of the first season. Yeah, am I going to the premiere this one? You inviting me? Sure. Excellent. If we have one in New York. Okay. Yeah, and um, and we're going to have a secret episode, or now it's not secret, in a few days with you and me again. Because we're what gonna, are we going to talk about? We talked about everything. Well, tune in, in a couple of days. All right, that was a fun one. Yeah, covered good. a lot. All right, good. Um, I not think, not I, too boring. No, no, no. And I think actually it's incredibly useful to people because everybody wants to be. As you even put it. You even divided it up. Everyone wants to be creative in business, sports, or or art. Access the creative part and, of themselves. And, yeah, access that creative part of themselves. And I think this is just seeing how you've done it in various ways is really fascinating. Hey, so James, you know that secret show that you said you wanted to do? Yeah, we, which we which we, we just, just tried, tried to do. and we aborted it, <laughs> and we now stopped. we're back to this one Be- because the show you wanted to do was a show where we talked about our favorite television shows, and so one of the things we we didn't talk about in this is that I do become aware of what are empowering and disempowering choices to make in order to be your most creative self, and so I could tell you like my favorite show of all time is Mad Men, but the moment you start to ask me why, I know why. But while I'm making my show right now, if I start thinking about the ways in which Matt Weiner, the, from the outside, the, the, end of, the end result of what he did, not having been in the room with him, not having seen him suffer, the work of art is so great and overpowering to me that it, it is one of the few things that could thwart me from going and doing work. So I can't, I could do it in the off season or when our show's done, I could do that. And I love thinking about it and I love watching this stuff. But if I were to, I have learned, as you tell people to, what makes me feel good and what makes me feel bad and what makes me able to perform at a peak level and what would stop me. And a conversation about why Mad Men, The Sopranos, West Wing, NYPD Blue, and Deadwood are 
incredible shows would just remind me of how much better Matt Weiner, David Chase, Aaron Sorkin, and David Milch are than I am. And it would make it very hard for me to do what I do. So we're going to have to table the second conversation. Well, Brian, that was very thought-provoking. So thank you. Great. Awesome. All right. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network at jamesaltucher.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. Hey, thanks for listening. Listen, I have a big favor to ask you, and it will only take 30 seconds or less, and it would mean a huge amount to me. If you like this podcast, please let me know. Please let the team I work with know. Please let my guests know. And you can do this easily by subscribing to the podcast. It's probably the biggest favor you could do for me right now. And it's really simple. Just go to iTunes, search for The James Altucher Show, and click subscribe. Again, it will only take you 30 seconds or less. And if you subscribe now, it will really help me out a lot. Thanks again. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.